Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative and check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and download. Two weeks ago, I began to explore the notion that somehow China and Trump could have their interests aligned when it came to the pandemic. There was something nagging about the way that, you know, so many of the top 10 countries that experienced the most deaths were NATO countries. And then there's that whole period of time in February when Trump was making up comments that allowed the pandemic to take hold in a very serious way when he was denying the virus, denying that it was going to be deadly, and even saying that it was going to be cured. Even more troubling was Trump's financial stakes in the pharmaceutical companies benefiting from the crisis. And we see that even today, as more vaccine deals are announced day after day. His lack of empathy, his self-congratulatory stances on everything, his constant battle with truth and facts, it's really plainly annoying. And I won't lie, that's why I went after the story, because I really need to know, did Trump and China collude in the pandemic? Now, the big question is not really about Trump, it's about China. If the Chinese government is involved, where are the signs that they're involved? The official Chinese story is that the coronavirus emerged at a Wuhan wet market where they sell wild animals. The story goes something like this. The virus started in a bat. It went into a pangolin, which is a scaly mammal, believe it or not. And then from pangolin, it went into humans. Now, of course, there was a research study published in the Lancet magazine which poured cold water over that whole theory because two-thirds of the first COVID patients from Wuhan were, the, were attended the wet market or went by the wet market, but that left one-third of those first patients that were diagnosed with COVID-19 and ultimately tested. They were nowhere near the wet market. So the wet market is not really a proven site of origin for the coronavirus. And by the way, they don't even sell live bats, nor do they sell pangolins at the market. So that officially is just not true. The story about the wet market, you can put it away. It never happened. So what did happen? There are three likely sites of exposure. The Wuhan Institute of Biological Products is suspected of being involved in the Chinese Biological Warfare Program. The Institute was also a part of that giant vaccine scandal that tore through China a few weeks ago. You might remember it. Hundreds of thousands of children across China were injected with faulty vaccines for diphtheria, tetanus and whooping cough. The Institute paid only a fine. Some suspect that's because of its close ties to Beijing and perhaps its military ties to the Chinese biowarfare program. Next on the list, the Wuhan CDC, the Center for Disease Control, which conducted experiments on bats from a region with known coronavirus infections. The CDC is not only 900 feet away from the wet market, it's also next door to the Union Hospital, where a group of doctors were initially sickened in the Wuhan outbreak. 
The researcher who first suggested a link to the Wuhan CDC has since withdrawn his findings. That's because he says he has no proof. But frankly, he did have a lot of proof in his report. This sounds to me like it's a government attempt to shut him down. Another cover-up. Then there's the most likely site. The Wuhan Institute of Virology is the only P4 level lab in China. It's 20 miles away from the wet market, and it's home to a variety of research labs, including ones that focus specifically on bat coronaviruses. After the outbreak in Wuhan became known, Beijing put out these new instructions, which could only apply to the institute. All three of these locations are actually labs, and they're labs that have at some point or another dealt with viruses, they've dealt with vaccines, and some of them have dealt with biowarfare. The CDC, that's the one you see at the top of the screen there, 900 feet away from the wet market, it also was involved in some bat experimentation. Apparently, one, at one time, a bat urinated on one of the researchers. They had to quarantine themselves for 14 days for fear of some sort of infection. So you know that there was great concern here about a disease hopping from the bats to the researchers. And yet they still had this research done constantly at the CDC in Wuhan. Nine miles away, the scandal plagued Wuhan Institute of Biological Products. They were involved in that huge scandal, which I just described to you in that piece. But they're also very, very close to the leadership of the Communist Party of China and to Xi Jinping himself. And they're potentially involved in the biowarfare program, which China has. And then there's the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And if this was a suspect lineup, this would be the suspect that you'd be trying to nab because um, there's no doubt in my mind that this building and everything that goes on in this building looks incredibly suspect, not only to me, to the intelligence community and to the Australian intelligence community and to the British intelligence community, all of which have said there's some credibility to the argument that the virus actually came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And that's for a number of factors, but not least of which is the fact that the Institute is home to Batwoman. Just 20 miles from the Wuhan wet market is the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It's home to a variety of labs, including the lab of the world's leading researcher in bat coronaviruses. Zhenli Shi is known as the Batwoman because she indexes the genomes of bats. That's how she discovered SARS came from bats. She's an expert in what is known as gain of function. It's when you give a virus additional functionality in a lab setting. In 2004, she successfully combined SARS and HIV. And in 2014, she began an experiment to see how such a virus could emerge in humans. She began that research in 2014 at North Carolina's Mount Chapel University, research funded by the NIH. One year later, in 2015, the Obama administration banned gain-of-function experiments on viruses. It deemed them too high risk, a risk of pandemic outbreak. The Trump administration lifted that ban in 2017. In 2018, the U.S. Embassy staff described poorly managed safety protocols at the lab, according to leaked State Department cables. When COVID-19 broke out, she was summoned from a conference in Shanghai. Once home, she cross-referenced the virus genome against her own records to see if the virus had escaped her lab. She breathed a sigh of relief when the results came back. None of the sequences matched those of the viruses her team had sampled from bat caves. That really took a load off my mind, she said. I had not slept a wink for days.
I mean, can you imagine how terrifying that would be to think that you might have let a virus uh, escape from your lab and infect the entire planet? I wouldn't sleep for days either. Now, there are a few very interesting things about Zheng Li Shi. Uh, and what's remarkable, of course, about her is that she was able to sample this virus. She got a sample on, on December the 31st. The hospitals finally sent her um, samples of the viruses from actual patients of COVID-19 from the Wuhan outbreak. In just literally a couple of days, her team was able to map out the genome of this virus. And within two weeks, they were able to send this entire genome that was officially uh, declared the version of, of COVID-19 to the rest of the world. Now, that's just not only incredible and amazing and whatever else you want to say about it, it is also in my mind, completely impossible. These guys were able to discover that the genome of COVID-19 was identical to the genome of a bat coronavirus they had previously researched. That's very hard to do unless you have that particular uh, gene genome within your database, which is what happened. Now, I wanted to introduce you to Peter Dajak. Dajak is an American. He funds a lot of Xi's work. How has the Chinese authorities deal with it so far? To move from hearing about the outbreak to finding the virus, identifying it, and producing the genetic sequence and making that public to the rest of the world in two weeks is unprecedented. Um, it's incredibly um, efficient. Isn't he complimentary about how the Chinese did the work that they did? Uh, you know, he does get a lot of business from China, but really his core business, Peter Dajak, is to take money from the American government and fund it to, funnel it to various organizations around the world who do this incredibly important work of identifying animals that have diseases that could then be transferred into humans. It's a very, very important field to study, as we've learned over the years, and Peter Dajak is a big reason why a lot of these research labs get funded, including the lab of Zhegli Shi. Now, she's a fascinating character because, as I mentioned to you earlier, she couldn't sleep at all. She was worried sick that her viruses, maybe the ones from her lab, had contaminated Wuhan and maybe the world with this new pandemic. Now, Dajak, the guy you just saw in that video clip, told CNN that the new coronavirus matched a sample taken from a horseshoe bat in a cave in Yunnan in 2013. He says it was a 96.2% identical match. So he's saying to CNN that she went to the database, compared the sample she had just gotten from the hospital to what she had in the database, and Yahoo, she found a match. It was a horseshoe bat from a cave in Yunnan in 2013 that was 96.2% identical. Except that isn't what she is saying. The researcher is saying something completely different, as you would have seen in that clip a few seconds ago, because in that clip, I mentioned that she had said none of the sequences matched those of the viruses her team had sampled from bat caves, He's saying that there was, in fact, a match that had matched a sample taken from a horseshoe bat in a cave in Yunnan in 2013. One of them is not telling you the truth. Or, you know, the, the reporter from, I think it's uh, Scientific America, uh, maybe they got the whole notion wrong. Maybe they got a wrong quote or they misunderstood what she went through. But it does seem like they have two very differing stories. You know, if you're investigating these kinds of things, Sometimes you do that. You separate people. If their stories don't uh, agree with each other, maybe one of them is lying. In this case, it seems like maybe one of them is lying. But which one? 
I'm going to say she is lying because, as it turns out, the new coronavirus does in fact match a horseshoe bat from a cave in Yunnan that was discovered in 2013 that's in the database uh, belonging to Peter Dajak. Just so you get a frame of reference here, there are literally thousands of coronaviruses around the world. These guys have managed to create a database of 500. That's maybe one-tenth of all the coronaviruses from bats. And of those, only 50 of them, only 50, are believed to be coronaviruses that could be transmitting to human beings. So of the 5,000 coronaviruses from bats that are believed to exist, only 50 in the database that they have were, were proven to be coronaviruses that could infect humans. And yet it's miraculous, it's absolutely miraculous that this particular virus that was given to them on December 31st as a sample, the one that landed up becoming COVID-19, it's miraculous that it was among those 50 or a close relative of a virus within the 50 that they had there. You gotta admit, that is a pretty remarkable feat considering they swear up and down the virus came from a wet market 20 miles away. I was surprised to find out that Yunnan was 11,000 miles away from Wuhan. That's a long way for a bat to travel, a long, long, long way for a bat to go flying if they just wanted to meet up with a pangolin at the Wuhan wet market to create a disease that would then spark a pandemic. So you can believe that scenario, the flying bat going to meet the pangolin for a date at the Wuhan wet market, 11,000 miles away. Or you could believe this other option, option B, let's say, where uh, perhaps a coronavirus that is known to have infected humans, at least in the lab and in the world, that originally came from bats and was being experimented in a lab, somehow escaped that lab and went into the world to infect everybody and become a pandemic. It certainly wouldn't be the first time, especially not in China. There have been two other incidents where a SARS-like virus has escaped uh, a lab that is of high security like the one we spoke about here. So if it happened twice before in China, maybe this is the third, and maybe they're just covering up for an awful mess that they've created. You're still wondering, okay, where's China in all of this? Maybe these guys in this, in this lab are, are clumsy. Maybe they just left something lying around and pandemic started and everyone freaked out. So now they're covering that whole thing up. That's entirely a possibility. I think at this point, after looking at all the evidence, I can say with some certainty, or a high probability at least, that COVID-19 probably came as a result of an accidental or deliberate release of a bat coronavirus from a lab, either the Wuhan Institute of Virology or the Wuhan Center of Disease Control. I think there's sort of unanimity around the intelligence communities around the world, around people who've been writing about this, uh, certainly in my investigation over the last week, it's clear to me that that's sort of where we're at. So if we're trying to figure out now whether it was a deliberate release by the Chinese government or by other forces within China, or was it an accidental release, that really becomes the main question. Now, over the last few weeks, you've heard a lot of Donald Trump and the Chinese trading barbs with each other, accusations about who's responsible, very little attention has been paid to this one key factor that I just find such a giveaway that the Chinese government 
And in fact, the People's Liberation Army was so intimately involved in at least the response, if not the release, of COVID-19. That is the Chinese film version of General Wei Chen, China's great hope in the race to find a vaccine for COVID-19. The real-life Wei Chen is this 54-year-old epidemiologist and virologist. She's a major general in the People's Liberation Army, a rank bestowed on her personally by Chinese President Xi Jinping. The infamous lockdown of Wuhan then came much too late. Even before Qi had made his first public comments about the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan, Chen was already on the ground. Some sources say she arrived there in mid-January, others put it at January 30th. Chen was ordered to take over the entire Wuhan Institute of Virology. Chinese state media described her as goddess of war, shield of our lives. Chen set up a portable lab, developed a plasma treatment, a COVID-19 test kit, and set to work making a vaccine, all within six weeks. And guess who was first in line to receive the first dose in the human trial of the vaccine? That's General Chen receiving the first shot. The Chinese media paints the entire thing as something of a vaccine race, akin to sending a man to the moon. One military insider says the military would feel like they've lost face if they couldn't conquer the virus. Chen's vaccine is now set to begin the second phase of human trials. It's widely regarded by some as having the best shot at being first. Officially, General Chen works for the People's Liberation Army, but her research is co-funded by a Chinese vaccine company, Cancino Biologics. Its CEO is a former executive of Sanofi, and two other founders, plus a board member, also come from the French pharma company. Those who have followed the uh, ins and outs of hydroxychloroquine, you'll remember that hydroxychloroquine is manufactured by Sanofi, and then at some point in the last few weeks, it was revealed that Donald Trump owned a significant stake of Sanofi shares in his trust, not directly anymore, but in his trust, which apparently he can access at any point, and that he acquired those shares in Sanofi through a uh, mutual fund company known as Dodge & Cox. Keep that in mind, because it is important, of course. You know, if the President of the United States is going to, in fact, profit, in any way of the manufacture of a vaccine that is being currently developed by former executives of a company in which he owns a lot of shares, it's something worth watching. It's also just worth watching because it's so interesting to see how all these different players, military, government, and uh, private sector pharmaceutical companies are cooperating to try and solve this problem of the coronavirus, which on the face of this, we have to accept is a pretty legit thing that they're doing. But what isn't legitimate, and I'll say this pretty clearly, it's just as impossible for uh, Wei Chen, it's just as impossible for her to have developed a vaccine, 
a plasma test, a, what else did she do? She did a genome, um, and she also had this incredible nasal spray that she was giving uh, first responders in Wunan that apparently protected them from the virus, but she, she won't share that with the world because it's just too expensive to produce. There's just so much about this particular major general that makes you go, hmm. If it was in fact this easy to stop the disease as China has, China's practically eliminated coronavirus from China. If it's possible that they could do this, why can't any other country duplicate this feat around the world? Only China and also New Zealand claims to have uh, eliminated the disease. Now, New Zealand has done it by extreme social distancing. What has China done? that has been able to suppress the disease so quickly. There were a lot of people traveling from Wuhan to the rest of China, as there were a lot of people traveling from Wuhan to the rest of the world. Surely they would have spread the disease to the rest of China, but they didn't. They didn't spread the disease. And you have to ask these very serious questions about what the intentions are of the Communist Party of China and the leadership of China, which has been under enormous pressure of late, you know, domestically, Xi is facing opposition. He needed a win. He also needed to prove to, him, to the world that he could be the superpower. He could be the guy who would uh, manage these difficult situations in the absence of the United States. Of course, what China wants more than anything is to hurt the United States because we're in competition with them. So they'd love to see the United States economy knocked out for a couple of years and for them to have a head start in their economy. These are all very legitimate reasons. They're circumstantial, they don't prove an absolute, but they're circumstantial to the point where you have to want further investigation to understand what China's role was in the initial spread of uh, the coronavirus. The American population, American healthcare is so reliant on um, Chinese antibiotics, in this case 97% of antibiotics are made in China, 70 to 95% of vitamin C, ibuprofen, hydrocortisone, and acetaminophen, all made in China. And 50% of medical masks, surgical gowns, ventilators, and MRIs, all made in China. So not only is that something that they can hold over America in the event of us needing all of that, just think about it. They can just say, oh, we're not sharing our uh, medication with you. We want to give it to somebody else, like they did with PPE. Imagine what would happen um, in, a, in a much worse situation where we're reliant on them to develop these vaccines, which is what's happening. A lot of these companies that you hear about developing these vaccines and developing these test kits are very connected to China. I'm going to go through all of that in the next show, but I did want to share all the stuff I had tonight with you before um, the show got too long. So uh, I have lots more to tell you about, but it'll have to wait till next time. The takeaway from today is that almost certainly the release of the coronavirus was either accidental or deliberate from a lab in Wuhan. There are a couple of lab suspects. I suspect the one at the Wuhan Institute of Virology will be getting the most attention. The next big question is what is the probability that something like this was deliberate? Well, we can't say for certain. No one can say for certain. Anyone who does say it's for certain, they do not know. But it does seem to me that the Chinese have done incredibly well, benchmarked against anything else in the world, but even benchmarked against their best efforts. It just seems impossible that all of this thing, all of these things conspired in one event to make them so successful and the rest of the world so unsuccessful. So I'm out there saying something that I know very few people aren't saying right now. 
But over the next few weeks, you'll hear more and more attention come to this idea of was China responsible? The answer is yes, China was responsible, but it's going to come from Donald Trump because that's what happens in a disinformation war. Two sides that are involved in something start pretending to fight with each other. We've seen it many times. We saw it in Syria, for example, when Russia accused Turkey of, of buying and using ISIS oil. The truth of it is both of them were using ISIS oil in, in, in Syria and both of them were profiting off it. That faux fight was a smokescreen, so people wouldn't pay attention to the fact that they were in fact doing it together. And that's my closing point. Pay really close attention to the details over the next few weeks. Yes, the Trump administration will spend a lot of time telling you that the Chinese did it, and in fact, they would love nothing more than a November election that is all about China, because don't forget, they have dirt on Biden about China. They know what Biden and Biden's son did in China because the Chinese gave it to them. So they would love nothing more than to paint Joe Biden as pro-China and uh, Donald Trump as anti-China as they get really ferocious about who is responsible for COVID-19. The answer is that it is China, but it's also Donald Trump. And they'll try to make you forget that anything happened in those first few weeks in February that created a worse pandemic in the United States. So I urge you all to keep a, a cautious eye uh, out for the spin war that is coming in this disinformation war regarding the pandemic that has been striking us. There goes my voice. I've been speaking for way too long. Thank you very much for joining me on Narrative Live tonight. It's always fun to have you uh, with me and it's always a little stressful for me as I try to put all of this together. Uh, sometimes it works better than, than other times, but I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, Please support me if you want, patreon.com forward slash narrative. Uh, all the money that uh, Narrative gets, literally 100% of, of any funding that I have is, is from the patrons. And there's a few very, very smart, capable people that I adore on there. And I thank you so much for uh, sponsoring me over the last few years. And I hope your sponsorship continues. And I hope many more of you consider uh, that there are not many people like me out there sticking their neck out to say things that are almost certainly true but that other people are scared to say. So um, please go over to patreon.com forward slash narrative. Five bucks a month is all it starts at. You get a ton of benefits and uh, you get to sponsor real independent journalism because the New York Times, when they tell you they're independent, are nothing like what I would consider an independent news organization. Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. And check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and download.